Hi, today is December 1st, I almost said 31st, uh, 2023, and my name is Junie, and welcome to the Theta Game Podcast. I'm not a financial advisor, and nothing I say is financial advice. I'm literally just a normal retail trader, just like you. I'm not certified or graduate of finance, just a regular trader that started on Wall Street bets years ago. I've lost a lot of money and made some of it back and more after finding a system that worked for me. I share my trades, system, and experiences all for free. Learn from my mistakes and get a better start than me, or use my experiences to help you rebound after trading Beyond Meats one too many times. <laughs> you can follow, you can view all my trades for free at datagame.com slash junie. There's no sign up required. You literally go to that link and you see all my trades. No pop-ups, no ads, nothing. And you can email me any questions that you have at junie at datagame.com. Lastly, I stream on Twitch every weekday for at least an hour at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Come hang out, ask me questions, vent, or just chill. It's a positive environment and everyone is welcome at twitch.tv slash real Thank you, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. I hope everyone had a great week. Uh, today should be Monday. If you're listening to this, the first day this episode is coming out. Hope your day is going well so far. Uh, we're going to get started today with the new ThetaGame.com website updates. Uh, I only have one update for you guys this week, and that was moving the achievements from the front page into its own separate tab in the left-hand side nav bar. Um, and I did this change in um, sort of preparation for a bigger change that's going to come out fairly soon. Um, the the page, when you go to thetagame.com, if you sign in, uh, it's going to be more analytics focused. So you'll be able to see your past stats uh, on previous years in a little bit more of an in-depth look. Because right now, you really only see the net premium of your years prior. But now you'll be able to see your net premium um, for each year among like other stats like, you know, what was your most popular tickers that you've traded throughout the years um, or what your favorite strategies were. Uh, and also like what were your best performing strategies? Like, did you get a lot from covered calls? That's cool. Did you get a lot from, you know, any long calls? How did your puts end up doing all that fun stuff? So that's coming out fairly soon. I do want to get that out, I think, before I head to my parents' house in about two weeks. Uh, so expect it either this week or next week, but just highly dependent on where I can move this timeline. Um, you know, it's important that you guys are able to see and view new trades and new traders, new users, so you could keep making friends and having those awesome social interactions. But if the homepage is now your only your analytics it's kind of closed off so i'm thinking about having some sort of discovery or explore tab on the left where you can see the timeline um but we'll see it's it's an interesting problem to solve up next uh i do want to happily report that the 5k account is at all-time high right now as of this second, I'm like literally clicking through my Robinhood graph, which I also trade on at twitch.tv slash realdatagang every morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, the account is up 10.68% in, uh, in the last month that I've started this sort of a challenge. 
Um, I open every single trade live on stream, um, though I close some of them off stream if they hit the trigger. But otherwise, yeah, I do close them also on stream. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, I've been sort of talking the talk in the last two episodes of like what I think about selling options and buying options. Uh, and it's good to put some of that in like sort of the front row um, on stage for people to see. So if you want to check out my performance um, and maybe you don't have enough time because I understand it is during the work day, uh, you can go to thetagain.com slash Juni5K. That's the number five and the letter K. And you can see my uh, performance so far. But a lot of this has been just really the same old thing that I've been doing, you know, since 2019, really. You know, max loss of being around like 400, 450, collecting profits at 50%, trading companies that I like, having implied volatility to be relatively high so I receive enough premium that I like. All of this stuff that I sort of reason through. I'll even look at Yahoo Finance uh, metrics on the financials sheets. And there's like this very helpful website that I use, companiesmarketcap.com. And I'll look at all of these stats uh, and stuff, especially when looking at a company that I might have not traded in a while. And I'll do this on stream. And it feels really good. Like I'm showing people that it takes a little bit more than just like guessing strikes and guessing a price movement direction, even when you're selling options. Like there's a little bit more thought that goes into it. And um, yeah, I feel like this is some sort of big energy out there um, letting me win this often to continue being a good example. So I'll continue just being grateful for the <laughs> wins that I've gotten so far. I really can't believe how lucky I've been getting. Um, but yeah, if you want a chill place to hang out, learn, um, talk about your winning trades, and more importantly, talk about your losing trades, like come come hang out, twitch.tv um, slash real theta gang at 9 a.m pacific time and before moving on to the next segment of the podcast i do this thing where i open a trade uh every weekday every day that i um every day the market's open obviously i can't open a trade when the market's closed but every day on the stream uh, i open a trade and there's days where um you know nothing really looks good to open but i do it for the content i do it to show like you know as long as it fits you know most of my metrics that i look for i can open a trade today was a bit of a cooler example than normal uh where it's more than just a system uh i take my notes for the stream on a website called dillinger io it's just a markdown editor, but it saves your work in local storage or something. And so, you know, I can go to Dillinger.io and then quickly switch to that tab on stream and then have people look at my notes. Um, and in the notes, I have this section where I have what's considered my wish list. And in that wish list, I basically write prices or price targets of where I'll start looking at the stock again to write maybe like a put credit spread on. So, for example, um, I wanted to see if Adobe would ever hit like 560. And this morning, Adobe actually hit 560. And as I was looking at the notes, I was like, wow, you know, I wanted to, you know, open a put credit spread on Adobe um, all this time uh, if it reached down to that price. But had I not written that note down, I wouldn't have remembered to like look at Adobe today. So after seeing my notes, I checked back 
looked at Adobe. Adobe traded at 560 this morning. I missed a little bit of the sort of intraday rally that Adobe had, but that's fine. I'm not trying to pinch pennies or dollars here. Um, but then I ended up opening uh, opening a Adobe 570, 565 put credit spread. Um, it was down right when I opened it, like down $3, but right now I'm up $5 on it. I know, crazy. You know, I could retire soon. Um, but very cool example of like, you know, if you can't find a trade that fits within your criteria for your system, maybe there's a trade that fits within like uh, your wish list or your prices. Because my system, I'll periodically check um, the companies that I typically trade that fits inside my system. Like, for example, I'm very comfortable trading like AMD, Costco, uh, NVIDIA, and Shopify. Like, I feel like those are my bread and butter. Uh, but if I, for example, I already have an AMD, Costco, and NVIDIA put credit spread, and I don't want to over leverage or overexpose my 5K account into more of any of those positions. So then I have to start branching out and looking at other companies. And that's when I'll resort to the wish list. So um, Adobe, I feel pretty good about my entry, but of course, you know, I've had a very, very good string of good luck. So I'm always gonna put this disclaimer here that, you know, if you think that I'm doing really well and you're like, wow, you know, Junie, you should be just pounding these uh, put credit spreads. Why don't you just write like 10 of these at the same time? Cause your win, win uh, loss ratio is so good. Um, those are typically the trades that I lose. It's like when I get too greedy, when I just know that I'm gonna win, that's when it bites me the most. And so I'm choosing to stay disciplined and go low and slow. And, you know, I don't want to have to put in another 5K to keep this content going either. So there's also that intrinsic benefit of me being able to do this for a longer period of time because it allows a Twitch stream to be more interactive because I feel like a lot of people can relate to these sort of um, size, these sizes of trades. So, again, feel free to stop by at twitch.tv slash realthetagang, 9 a.m. Pacific time. It's really fun. All right, it is time for earnings. So there were a good amount of earnings this week. Um, I would say that it was very heavily tech focused. Um, some data companies, some tech service companies, a little bit of retail at the end, a little bit of the Becky index with Ulta, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, first, we have CrowdStrike. It's a cybersecurity company. Um, they'll help keep your company safe. Uh, install software on your employees' computers so they are less likely to get hacked. They'll help you in the event that you get hacked and all that good stuff. Uh, cybersecurity is on the rise. We don't know if there will be more competitors that can actually size up to CrowdStrike or any of the other uh, sort of cybersecurity companies, but uh, more money is being spent on cybersecurity these days. We see that CrowdStrike has beat on earnings per share and revenue expectations, and they guided up for the current quarter. Uh, annual recurring revenue guidance was also up and stable, and they iterated that they will meet their annual recurring revenue goals without any additional changes, which is a good plus. Uh, I opened a cash secured put on CrowdStrike this week, which I'm up like $120 on, which is up like 25% because I uh, received like about 410, 420 for the uh, cash secured put. So up on CrowdStrike right now, personally, uh, and it was also trading 10% up the next day. 
People often ask if I trade earnings. Um, maybe it's like their first time in the stream. Uh, maybe they just listened to one episode of the podcast and it's the rare occasion that I don't mention that I don't like trading earnings. Um, but what I will do is uh, after the earnings report has finished, if I like what I read and I can make sense of it, you know, it does take a while before you become like fluent enough to sort of understand what they mean by like top line, like bottom line improvements, guiding up for the quarter. Uh, what does EPS actually mean? Like all that stuff. Like if it makes sense to me, then I'll go in. And uh, I think that CrowdStrike really appealed to me because it had a decent amount of IV still lingering after the earnings report because volatility usually just vamooshes after earnings. Um, but I thought there's a good amount of volatility still left in it, maybe because it's CrowdStrike and Palo Alto Networks has gone up so much recently that, you know, there's a pullback due like soon. Uh, and if I'm willing to go long on the position, I'm willing to write a cash secured put on the position. So I'm not doing like a buy, uh, not bi directional, but rather I'm not doing a directional play on CrowdStrike um, by writing this cash secured put, rather just a long play. Like if I get a sign on these, that's okay. And which is the main reason why like I'm not buying calls. And rather, I just rather write a cash secured put and just manage it from there. Um, so that's about the most that I'll do or some equivalent of it, like maybe instead of writing a cash to care put on CrowdStrike, I would maybe buy like 25 shares of CrowdStrike and then dollar cost average into the rest of the 100 shares and eventually sell a covered call. If none of that made sense to you, just continue to listen to the podcast and future podcasts. It'll start to make sense to you. But uh, for the veteran listeners, that's sort of how I sort of approach earnings. All right, next up, we have another uh, tech company. It's a data company for companies to uh, use to record, monitor, and analyze data. I'm talking about Splunk. Uh, EPS and revenue was beat, and annual recurring revenue was up 15%. Their cloud revenue also grew by 26% as now their majority of the annual recurring revenue. However, it ultimately traded flat for the week. Um, we saw a lot of price action going up and down for Splunk. It seems very volatile. Um, I'm more into uh, cybersecurity than I am data warehousing uh, right now in terms of like my own personal biases of like what I want to invest in. Um, weirdly enough, I think the thesis I'm going in, going in with for next year is like cybersecurity and Becky. And of course, my semiconductor stocks like NVIDIA and AMD. Um, but I feel like I have a good sort of framework for how I want to tackle 2024. Where, you know, 2023, I wasn't really sure on what I wanted to trade um, any trade any differently. Um, but going into 2024, I feel like I have a different plan than my usual go-to of just AMD and NVIDIA and Shopify. Though that's a very consistent bread breadwinner for me. So, or rather bread, bread and butter. I don't know what you want to call it. But um, that's my usual go-to. And I'm going to continue that. But I'm going to sprinkle in some retail and some cybersecurity, I think. Next up, I wrote this like very witty line uh, that I feel is a little snarky, but it's very true. Um, Intuit. Intuit is the company famous for TurboTax, but also infamous for lobbying to keep taxes complicated so that TurboTax is needed. Um, they beat on earnings per share and revenue and went up 2% the next day. However, it guided down for the next quarter shy of Bloomberg's projections. They are noting that they want to be, quote, prudent in their approach given the uncertain 
macroeconomic environment. This makes sense as, you know, if companies aren't doing as well as they used to, and we're, we're talking about in relation to like 2021 when the market was super hot, if they're continuing to guide down, because TurboTax takes a percentage, I think, of your tax return. Uh, if companies are just making less, um, then, you know, I just don't see, or if companies aren't just around anymore, there's less companies, it's just less money for TurboTax. So understandable, maybe they're guiding down to have a surprise beat for the next quarter. That's a little bit tinfoil hatty, but we'll see uh, where we go from here. Next up is Okta, a company that provides identity services. Um, that's a fancy way of saying that they they sell companies software that tracks the employees' accounts and logins. So if you've ever had to sign into your company's um I don't know, like you try to visit a site that your company tries to have you log into and you have to make an account or you sign in with your employee account. It's typically through a service like Okta. Um, however, Okta has been a hack target for quite some time and it's seeing its share price affected because of that. Uh, for the last quarter, they smashed earnings per share and revenue expectations, but the stock is ultimately trading flat where traders are hesitant to go in on a company that has such a large target for future hacks. Currently trading at $71 as of Wednesday this week. They're infamous for um, just recently being involved in the hack of the MGM and Caesars Palace. If you guys remember the headline where Las Vegas uh, hotels were hacked, it was because of a data leak and breach of Okta's customer service data. So um, they're not... They're, I mean, they're smashing expectations and they're doing great as a company on paper. But well, I guess, I mean, even hack-wise, that's that's not good on paper because you see articles and that those articles are on paper. But numbers-wise, I think they're doing great. But publicity-wise, not so much. If your company has such a large attack vector that, you know, you're getting attacked every day and you are a company that wants to sign up for Okta, but you know that it's just going to be eventual where if all the hackers are trying to target Okta, you're not going to want to sign up for Okta. Rather, you might just want to create your own solution in-house. So maybe that becomes like a priority for other companies to start depending on Okta as a, a sort of turnkey solution. I don't know, but we'll see as we go forward. Again, right now it's trading at $71. It's corrected a bit from its recent high. Had to look it up. Um, recent high of being like 86 bucks. Again, now trading at like 71, 72 dollars. It's all time high. Holy moly, it was like 296. And Okta again is a decent company. Um, it's just yeah, very vulnerable to being hacked right now, at least in the in the public's eye, and that's never good for your stock. Next up, we have a data warehouse company uh, that is Snowflake. Companies integrate Snowflake services and store data in Snowflake servers and databases. They go back into Snowflake service and analyze data and trends. They've had a great uptrend in November, beating past September and October resistances and trading at a higher level as seen in July. Momentum was going strong into earnings and then Snow smashed the EPS and revenue expectations and mentioned that the tech sector seems like it's stabilizing. The stock was up 7% after hours. And again, personally, I'm just not a fan of data warehousing companies. I don't think there's as big of a moat as like, um, I don't know, like a cybersecurity company might have. Data warehousing seems, 
I mean, it saves the company depending on like how much money you're willing to spend, how big the company is. Like it'll save you a lot of time, but data is really, really hard to make sense of um, if you're sending it to an external service, uh, which is what Snow is trying to sort of, I guess, accommodate for. Um, your data for the your company is very particular to your company, and it'll take some amount of work on your end as the company to understand your own data. It's not like you can send just data points to somewhere and then get a whole summary of what you know the trends are for this particular like KPI or any sort of performance metrics that you might be looking at. Um, so while I do think Snow can be a turnkey solution to analytics for your company, um, I think a lot of companies do already do what Snow provides in-house, especially if the company is large enough. So I choose just to stay out of data warehousing companies. And one last thing, just as I was thinking about it, is not so much that I'm bearish on data warehousing. Like I think that you know data warehousing will never grow as like a company. It's more like I think Snow is just really crazy priced. Uh, I think Snow... Let me see, Snowflake stock, Snowflake stock. Doesn't make money for sure. There's no P&E ratio, that makes sense. Company, marketcap.com, uh, Snow, um, let me see, earnings. Yeah, I mean, they're just burning through money. Every year uh, up until, yeah, still now, they're they're losing more money every year. Maybe the even the pace of which they lose money is growing. Um, their P and E ratio getting a little bit better, still in the negatives, chilling at like negative seventy. Um, price to sales ratio being twenty five, that's still pretty high. Um, oh my god, yeah, and their debt is just skyrocketing. Um, they just keep on getting more debt. This just, I don't know, for a company that provides something like data warehousing, I don't think should command this sort of like. Um, this, I, you know, I don't want to say unfair pricing because if you're really passionate about data warehousing, and you really like Snowflake. <coughs> I don't want to like, like poop on your opinion, but this is not a good deal. Uh, whereas, like, you know, I'm thinking about like this really random person that wants to uh, start software dev, okay, and maybe they learn about databases. They can create a data ingestion company that stores data creating like some sort of really loaded ground like uh, library that provides a wrapper so you can upload events or logs to a table inside a database that they bought on a cloud storage platform like uh, like uh, I don't know, like MongoDB or Atlas Cloud or so something, something like that, right? That's all doable by a software dev on the first day. Like if they, you know, assuming that they're really, really good at like learning how to code and all that stuff. I'm talking about like a fresh person, okay? Just willing to like learn and dive in and then try to make something that resembles some sort of data warehouse. You're just creating a function or some pieces of code that helps put logs into a database. And then somehow you analyze that data by making a trend graph, by plugging it in, to a CSV output or I don't know. There's so many ways to tackle this problem, okay? But I compare that with another stock that might be also considered overpriced, okay? Like NVIDIA. NVIDIA, I think you don't get the best bang for your buck either. But 
personally, I think it's much harder to create a graphics card than it is to create a SaaS platform where you just ingest and sort of display data. I'm downplaying Snowflake a lot, okay? I'm downplaying Snowflake a lot. But creating a graphics card right now is one of the hardest things that you can do. And it's one of the most money-intensive things. And uh, you got to also have room for like R&D to continue making your graphic cards better. And that's already hard enough to do right now in this economic environment. So the leaders that are making the good graphics cards that have the R&D budget have miles, years, and years ahead in like this advantage than any sort of graphics company that was to start today. So comparing like a SaaS platform with like hardware platform, this is just like my comparison of the two of the two scenarios because i could imagine someone's like you know junie you trade a lot of amd you trade a lot of nvidia and those are not very uh value savvy either you're price you're priced in for a lot of growth and a lot of good growth so i don't know why you're pooping on snowflake so hard it's just i don't know i see this total debt number going up i see their eps going down um it's it's not this isn't great you know like i don't i don't see what is their operating margins stable yeah okay but yeah regardless snowflake i don't know i remember this went on ipo and everyone was raving about it i still don't see the hype in snowflake but if you like it and you're passionate about data warehousing um you do you (laughs) you do you Okay, uh, next up we have Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce beat on earnings per share estimates and just barely, barely meet revenue expectations. Salesforce's recent quarters have slipped in growth, but in turn has cut 10% of its jobs, reducing office space. Salesforce guided up on its operating cash flow growth number and saw double-digit growth in customer support, software, and its platform divisions. The stock was trading up a whopping 8.4% up after hours this was pretty shocking to me right like i thought that maybe salesforce and intuit you know the company that i just mentioned earlier in this segment about turbotax turbotax has guided down and they wanted to be prudent of the economic um environment right now um because maybe there's like less businesses and less spending but honestly you know okta and snow um and splunk crowd like all of these stocks were trading up um and it does seem like spending on tech has returned so this salesforce um sort of a report also makes sense to me where it was also trading up 8.4 percent after hours i wrote a little note here in my notes it seems like i wrote it in all caps seems like tech is making a comeback is this the bottom I don't know, but this series of earnings reports from these tech companies do show some strength is back, um, and a lot of uh, share prices have gone up in terms of tech. Uh, maybe this is the beginning of the Santa rally. The Santa rally has definitely been happening uh, if this continues, but we'll see if uh, tech stocks still go up towards the end of December. All right, uh, last but not least, we have my favorite Becky stock. Um, I think this is tied for Target. I'm not sure. Um, I might like it a little bit more now. Just like I did a lot of due diligence on stream uh, when one of my buddies, Meh Meh Meh, brought it up uh, in the Twitch chat. And 
I had bought like 13 shares uh, on the day before, or rather the day of earnings. Um, and the next day it like went up $50 per share and it was wild, very, very wild. It was up 12% after the bell. Um, but yeah, Ulta, the makeup store, that's the, the makeup mega store. It's where girls and, you know, guys, I guess these days, everyone, uh, goes to the Ulta store to buy makeup. Um, and they just, they have everything. They have all the brands. They do a lot of good marketing. They do, um, marketing events on like TikTok and stuff. So they're very modern. Um, and they are infamous for being like almost like the Costco. I wouldn't say you're getting warehouse prices, but people spend a lot of money at Ulta and it is like very normal. Um, there's like memes about like (laughs) the dad wondering what ULTA is on like the, the sort of credit card bill. And like the wife will say, Oh, it's just a utilities bill. I just like paid for it. (laughs) Yeah. I just think, I think those are funny. Um, I wrote some notes here. Yeah, they beat earnings per share and earnings expectations. Although people have taken steps back in larger discretionary purchases like televisions and clothes, shoppers are still saving budget for beauty and skincare goods. Um, Ulta guided higher for its bottom line, a.k.a. net income. Um, This means uh, profit after expenses and then just as a reminder top line or revenue means like essentially the money made before expenses um thought i'd throw in some terminology there uh ulta like i said was up 12 percent after the bell um and yeah i wrote a note here that i had bought the 13 shares <laughs> before going into earnings it was such a cool feeling yeah it's like looking through ulta we talked about some gap fill sort of theory which turned out to be like rock solid true, um, but of course it doesn't happen every time. So I don't want to give the wrong, give the people the wrong idea about like, oh, eh, you know, if there's a gap, it's gonna fill during earnings. No, that's not the case. But you go in with enough due diligence and with enough of your own plan, you can make earnings somewhat responsible. Like I bought twelve shares. It's not like I bought like a hundred out the money calls. So. That was fun. Up about six hundred dollars on those right now, and I'll buy more shares as we just like go forward in time. Uh, <laughs> that was a weird way to word that. Uh, I'll make my uh, way up to a hundred shares, sell the covered call, and I'll probably just wheel Ulta for the rest of time, um, just a hundred shares worth. So if they get called away. I'll probably just write it at the money cash secured put. Just keep this cycle going at least until anything about Ulta changes. But I do like where Ulta is being um, sort of priced at right now. Um, its price-to-earnings ratio is, it was, but I mean, before this recent uh, spike in price, it was trading at uh, a near low. Um, so you're get, definitely getting a bang for your buck there. Um, and I don't see Ulta going away either, similar to Costco. I really like trading Costco right now. Um and uh yeah like i was talking about earlier like i'm really into like becky and retail right now like that means like target costco and ulta uh and i'm i'm getting more and more into like crowdstrike and cybersecurity because i had just re- like followed up on like writing notes for okta and i was like wow this this seems like doom and gloom for okta and i was like thinking 
Yeah, I can see AI maybe making um, cybersecurity attacks really crazy, to be honest. Um, so thought maybe you know CrowdStrike is a good option. I don't know much about Palo Alto Networks. I wish I did. I remember doing a trade last week because um, someone on stream mentioned Palo Alto Networks. It is insane how much inspiration I get from people on stream. And it is even more insane... When I take that inspo, I open the trade, and then I log the trade, and then I profit on the trade, and then I close the trade on the website, and then uh, people see and like the trade on ThetaGain.com, and they were able to see the entire lifetime of that trade. It started from an idea in chat. I opened the trade after doing the due diligence, uh, and then held on to it, managed it, closed it, and then... Yeah, and they closed the log on ThetaGain.com. It was it's crazy. This has happened, I think, three times so far. Uh, Ulta being one, uh, Palo Alto Networks being the other one, and I think uh, I did some sort of Shopify play. I don't remember if it was a cash secured put or a covered call at that particular time, um, but there was a third one. Um, yeah, insane, insane. Where that you know, it's a collaborative environment. Though I never, <laughs> I never suggest anyone follow me or uh, follow anyone in chat because no one is a financial advisor, right? Like that's everyone has that disclaimer. Um, but uh, you can take inspiration from people. You absolutely can. And if you fit someone else's thesis into your own framework, maybe you're choosing a different strike, you're um, choosing a different expiration. Uh, maybe someone has a bullish thesis on a company in one of your favorite sectors, so you start looking at other companies in the sector. There's so many ways to interpret um, other people's opinions. And so, yeah, I'm always willing to learn. Um, I think that's one of my best qualities as someone that is in the fintwit uh, slash like finance space in a live environment is that like I'm never really against any sort of solution because I've been on really both sides. Like I, like I mentioned all the time that I used to buy calls and puts. And even to this day, I still think it's cool when people do it, and especially when they succeed with it. My only real gripe is when people lie about their winners or they only show their winners. So, yeah, it's fun. Buying calls, buying puts, very fun, but very, very dangerous. Playing earnings, very fun, but very, very dangerous. I don't dislike them. I just think they're dangerous. <laughs>
Now it's about like, oh, can you, you know, um, do stuff with my wife? Or, you know, I am being dumb. Uh, you know, I'm definitely subbing out words that I'm not going to say on this podcast because I want to keep this PG. So it's a lot of self-deprecation, um, which is okay. <laughs> like, I'm all about being funny. But, like, dude, <laughs> this is it's so not good for your health. Um, so, you know, ev- you know, being self-deprecative is, has become very cool on Wall Street Bets, and that's not, that's not really me. Like, I could take a joke, like, don't get me wrong, um, but this, I don't know, it's just a different vibe. Um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm becoming a boomer. Uh, anyway, uh, there's this, there's this guy, uh, or, uh, there's this person, uh, that goes by the name of Old Ad Four Five Two Six, and they're doing what they or what they consider a one k to one million challenge. The goal of this challenge, um, I think, it speaks for itself, is to get one thousand um, dollars USD and to make it uh, one million. And they talk about like, oh, you need just, I think, like twenty percent gains on thirty-seven trades in a row or something, and you can do it. Um, what strikes me as interesting to me is that they are willing to take a screenshot and kind of show face for every day of the challenge. And the only reason why I'm giving this the live day is because they have promised, and we'll see if they follow up on their promise, that if they lose, I'm not saying when they lose, because you know I do root for the underdog, okay? I do want them to win. But if they lose, they said that they would post about their losses and why they lost. You know, they're going to follow up and be accountable because, you know, the reason why I started the 5K challenge is because I want to be accountable. I want to be there for if the challenge fails, talk about why I lost and I show an entire history of like how I got there. This person is doing a little bit less than me. Um, and I mean a little bit less as in like documentation wise, cause I'm using ThetaGain.com to track my trades and whatnot. Like this would be amazing marketing for ThetaGain.com, right? Like if you're just buying calls and buying puts and tracking those on ThetaGain.com and logging them as you go, it makes ingesting this data so much easier. Cause right now this person is just posting screenshots of their thinkorswim TD Ameritrade sort of brokerage platform. And it's so hard to make sense of it. This person is saying like they're, you know, down 95% um, today and they're up 85% overall, like in the next four days. Like it's it's very hard to follow. And he or, you know, they are getting a little bit more um, scrutiny in the comments talking about like it's kind of hard to understand what's going on. And so ThetaGain.com obviously fits here, but you can't actually talk about ThetaGain.com on Wall Street Bets. It'll get you like warned. You'll get a warning for sure, and you might also get banned. They just don't like, I don't know, transparency. But to be fair, it's because like I make money off of ThetaGain.com, so they don't want like one person to like get a massive benefit, even though it's uh like i don't know i feel like transparency is cool but you know it's all right it's all right i I won't take offense to it you know if i was a moderator on a on a subreddit that had millions of users maybe i wouldn't want people like advertising their services all the time so i get it i get it but this is definitely a good case in point for a website like datagame.com where you get to show your trades in a very digestible manner where it makes sense 
um, and you know people can follow you as you trade throughout your throughout the day. They don't have to wait for your end of day sort of um, uh, summary. So anyway, I'm keeping tabs on this. I think it's pretty interesting. They are up 85% overall, which I believe you know if they started with 1K, that means that they're up like 850 dollars. You know, uh, in my 5K account, I'm up 10% uh, overall. Let me let me see. 10.7% overall. So I am doing worse than this 1K to 1 mil challenge, but I am also doing much less riskier things. So my account will grow slower just by default. Um, will I continue reporting back on this dude or this person? Maybe. I don't know. Um, maybe they continue going on pretty well. Uh, I will just like kind of keep it to the side. If they fail, I'll definitely report on it. I'll say like, "Good job to this person for like being accountable and you know talking about why they lost and showing face." Uh, and I'll definitely talk about it if they reach one mil. Like, good for good for this person. That is, that's really commendable that you <laughs> that you straight up did something like that. That's really cool. Um, there's also this subreddit I think is on the rise. To be honest, it's called one K to one mil, uh, or one K to one M. Something like that. I'm I'm trying to find it real quick. Um, yeah, one K, the letter K to one mil, uh, the number one in both of those. One K to one mil is the subreddit name. Um, it's got eight point seven K members in it. Um, I don't know if you can trust really anything that you read in here. Going to be fully honest. Um, I think there's just gonna be a lot of people that fail, but don't talk about why they failed. And you might be inclined to start following someone that has had good progress on like day three. But I think anyone can have three good trades in a row without knowing what they're doing. Um, I would maybe consider, you know, looking at the history of anyone that's maybe on like day 10, you know, if they could replicate 10 trades in a row where they win 20% every time then maybe you could look at their history and then start picking up on things that they like to do. But if you're looking at like trade number three, um, I'm telling you, like I think a monkey can <laughs> pick, pick strikes and a call uh, and get three right in a row. So just, just be very, very careful. Um, so consider this your Wall Street Bets update of the week. All right. Okay. So today was a bit of a longer episode. Thanks to like a good amount of earnings talking about like my thesis going into like the next year. And then we talked a little bit about Wall Street bets and that's kind of fun. Uh, my voice is getting a little shoddy, um, but the show goes on. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about, <clears throat> wait, give me one sec. <clears throat> my bad. I had, <clears throat> I'd still not. It is so random that I feel I'm not I'm not sick. I'm definitely not sick, but I've had this cough that I randomly get if my voice gets raspy, I start coughing now, which I've never had in my entire life. But I don't cough any other time. Like I'm not sick, but it's when my voice gets raspy, my throat gets irritated now and I start coughing. Um but anyway, uh the show goes on. 
we talked about Wall Street Bets. We talked about some of my thesis going to 2024. There's a there's a good amount of content already in this podcast, so I want to have a lighter topic so, you know, this doesn't feel like a dredge going on through uh, to the next one. Like, I don't want to go into, like, number calculations and all that stuff. I want to I end this sort of podcast with, like, a very, like, low to the ground, like, hey, you know, this is how I feel and this is how, you know, how you should think about things and this is how I think about things and how we can relate these things together. So we're going to talk about buying versus selling options and what is best for people in different situations, right? Like some people will want to sell options, but they might not have a lot of money. Some people will want to buy options, but they actually want long-term growth and repeatable trades. So I'll go and give like the pros and cons of where I think of both sides because we had just finished in the season two of the podcast uh, talking about buying options and we talked about selling options. And then now, you know, as we get into this like third episode of this series, like which side should you do? First off, I'll talk about me because that's what I can speak best about is like my experiences and what I've done. When I first started uh, options trading, it was when uh, Robinhood first came out with options trading. I was so excited because I was like on Wall Street Bets and on Wall Street Bets. I think honestly, a lot of it was like people in other brokerage platforms before Robinhood started doing options trading, um, like discussing options trading like from TD Ameritrade or um, Schwab, all that stuff. But when option trading came out on Robinhood, I was like, wow, I could trade along with everyone else on Wall Street Bets. Let's go. Let's do this. And I started learning about earnings reports and how volatile they were and how much money you can make. And it was it was a different time for me. And I had bought calls. I had bought puts. And ultimately, it wasn't a repeatable process, which is something that I wish I could have like understood at a fundamental level back then is that if I wanted to trade for like the rest of my life, I need to trade in a way that keeps me protected long enough for that to happen. For example, I can never get got, you know, as I sort of get older. The 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 less I get got as I get older, the better, right? Like I'm not going to say I'm impervious to it, right? Like I, I could still get got, especially if the market like crashes, like but who wouldn't get got? Um, but you know, you want to lessen the chances as you sort of get older, as your risk tolerance gets lower and lower. Um, but a lot of that also starts from your fundamental trading habits when you develop them in the beginning. If you want to trade for the rest of your life, you need to trade in a way that enables that. This can mean trading in ways that, uh, have higher probability of profit chances. For example, maybe you are just buying and holding stock, you know, you might be down on a stock that is trading lower than when you bought it, uh, but you're not down unless if you sell. But if you only buy companies that are considered blue chip or very responsible, you're never really at a loss as you're just sort of investing your money and not realizing your loss and having the chance of it coming back. That's a very like rose tinted glasses sort of perspective of buying stock, but you can see why that's very powerful if your goal is to trade for the rest of your life. This, of course, is like uh, juxtaposed by the like the fun side of like options trading and how exhilarating it could be. Buying and holding stock is very boring, right? Like I was not into buying stock um, as like my my interest for buying stock went down tremendously 
when Robinhood came out with options trading. Like I was so invested into options trading that like I sold all the stocks I had bought until then uh, for, you know, the maybe like a few thousand dollars I had in the account at the time because I had a much smaller account back then when options trading first came out because I had just gotten a full-time job and throughout college, I would like buy like one or two shares on like, what what was I using? I think I was on Schwab a long time ago. Um, this was... 2013 you know like i uh 2013 2012 i had like just maybe graduated high school or maybe summer break of high school i started buying my first stocks it was a it was a long time ago um but when options trading came out um i sold my stocks got really into options trading because it was so exciting i was so like ready to make lots of money really fast but it didn't occur to me that I can lose. It, 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 it sounds crazy, right? It sounds really crazy. Like, oh, don't you expect to lose by trading something so volatile? But I think now that the GameStop craze has happened and lots of movies are talking about options and there's like a lot more resources on the internet, people are more aware of the risks of options trading, which is what I'm trying to pass down in this podcast too, right? Like I always talk about how fun they are because I want to give a fair perspective on buying options, but I don't know how repeatable they are for a long-term portfolio. For me, it wasn't until I started exclusively doing Theta Gang style trades that I was able to turn my like very volatile portfolio of essentially a net red into a very, very green per year. For example, um in 2020 i've mentioned this on the podcast before but i made 50k in 2021 uh, i made 49k in 2022 i lost 17k and then this year i'm on track to make let me see if nothing changes uh, i'm on track to make 77k and again this is all viewable on stream if you want to show up to twitch.tv slash real theta gang you can always you can always just see it. I'm trading in that same sort of terminal window where you could see that 77k number. Um, I feel like this is very repeatable, right? Like 2022, I'm a very like um, optimistically bullish trader, so I'm always trading the upside. 2022 obviously was not a great year for stocks, so that's reflected by my negative 17k profit loss for the year. But I feel like in 2020, I was I did pretty well. I did honestly really well i'm really proud of my performance in that year because it was so scary everyone was telling me to take the loss but i didn't i traded through it got better got the grit and now that's paying off because i have a lot of grit during these like really scary moments um and then 2021 everyone did great i did great because of the stock market rally 2022 i feel like i had a good minimal loss i think spy was also down so that's that's good uh and then 2023 right now doing great i'm very happy with my performance now um and then this is all again from me just exclusively doing theta gain style trades and that's for in my interpretation of it is buying stock and selling options it's a mix of trading options i'm not necessarily on the buy side but it's trading options and buying stock which is the perfect mix of fun versus responsibility for me I like the flexibility that I have in my own system where, you know, I I have this system where if I want to buy uh, shares of a company, I just don't do it by sort of feeling um, in terms of like, oh, it's just a random number. Uh, rather, it's like in batches of 12, 13, 25, 
uh, 50 sometimes, or maybe I outright buy the 100 uh, to just sell the covered call immediately. But I feel like I have a good system in picking up shares, you know, on the way down. Um, you know, I'll buy, I'll be happy on days that it's red. Um, where if you are buying options, it's more directional focused. Yeah, I feel like you have a lot more room to tilt if you are buying options. Where if you are selling options, you're getting shares taken away from you or you're making shares show up in your portfolio, aka you're buying the shares because you're getting assigned on maybe a cash secure put or something. And to me, if I'm only sort of doing these styles of uh, trading options on companies that I don't mind owning anyway, I'm essentially being the middleman or broker for someone that is doing the riskier side of this trade, um, aka someone that might be buying the options. I'm selling the options to someone that does think that this company can't go up this high. And if it does, great, I profit too because my shares are getting called away at that price and that price is higher than my cost basis. If the price goes down, uh, yeah, I get to re reduce my cost basis and hold on to the company that I already enjoy. It's very, it's a very copium sort of level of justification. Like I'm not gonna pretend that it doesn't sound like copium, but I have the results to prove it. I think that's one of the things that makes me so comfortable with being able to say that it sounds like copium because I have the results to sort of prove that it works for at least me. Um, in the event that like you know you are seeking something a little bit more exhilarating. I think you have to just start asking yourself whether or not you want to do that as a scalable solution going in the future. Like, when does your um, sort of appetite get satiated? By that, I mean, like, say, for example, you thought that Apple would go up, um, I don't know, 20% because you think that they're going to release, like, an iPhone that looks incredibly different. Like, maybe the back is also a screen, and then you know it's going to sell out and all this stuff. Uh, and then you're correct, Okay, you are correct on this. Um, you bought like maybe like 20 very out the money calls on Apple. Okay, and you hit. You win or you gain 40K. And I'll say that you're even responsible and you take the profits off the table and you pocket the 40K. What's your next move? Do you wait for until the next time you are very sure that you're going to win the next trade and make it big? Or do you maybe scatter your 40K into smaller bets that you think will win and then hopefully you win on those? Do you have a system or sort of metrics that you look at to make sure that your uh, prices that you buy these calls at make sense to your probabilities of winning? Like you have to have this system in place to make sure that you're not just always going for that big home run winner because that, that's not a scalable solution there's a reason why hedge funds don't look to make like 300 percent in a year like a typical retail trader does when they first learn about buying options it's very very hard to replicate this going forward so you know if you're trying to make like nearly like a hundred percent in a year you're kind of insane right like you're expecting to do that every year so you have to start tapering back your goals to make it more realistic if you want to do this for the rest of your life you know some people are like you know maybe i'll stop trading when i'm retired and stuff and that's cool too so then you know let's talk about 
all the way up until you're 65, or let's say you're trading all the way up until you're 60 or up until you're 50. I don't know what age you want to pick, but you want to do this for multiple years. So you have to do some solution or some strategy, some system that you can repeat for multiple years. It's not enough to win just one big one because if you just win one big one and then you just sit around with your uh, sort of winnings doing nothing, you're losing to inflation, right? So you have to develop this system where it keeps your money in the market and you want to beat inflation in a very predictable way. Like you don't want to have to like bet on this new iPhone coming out with two screens, right? You want to you want to make a consistent income so that, you know, you can sort of predict and move your money around uh, more, I guess, responsibly. So, you know, if you're maybe overexposed in a certain industry, maybe your uh, too much money is in this account. You need to actually put more into you, like your IRA or 401k, all that good stuff. But if you're always holding this large amount of profits, you know, I'm just I'm being optimistic here for you if you're buying options uh, or you're sitting on a huge loss or maybe you're sitting your cash idle, you're losing to inflation. You have to find some repeatable process on buying options that's consistent that can keep up with inflation. And just to top this sort of uh, this point off, um, it's not only inflation either, right? Like I think any anybody and everybody knows that SPY has a good chance of returning you at least like seven to eight percent. So as long as inflation is not up to that number per se, but you know your goal should be to beat SPY, especially if you're taking trading into your own hands and not just putting it into an index fund like SPY or QQQ. If you're taking the trades into your own hands, you better do better also than the industry standard. You know, better than someone else that might not know anything about options trading that does put into SPY that I think would be a good metric to also try to beat. But this isn't to sort of knock anyone trying to get a home run either, okay? Like, for example, the person that I just talked about trying to get that 1K to uh, 1 mil, I think that's really only realistically able to be done through uh, buying options, okay? Like, I don't think there's any reasonable amount of probability of profit that can help you from getting from $1,000 to $1 million selling options. Like, the the rate at which you would have to generate premium or collect premium compared to the max losses that you'd have to take on the way up, there's just too many pitfalls of starting with just a small amount of 1K, but if your goal was to like 300% or 400% your current pool of money to a bigger number, then it, the answer would be to definitely buy options, but that's just not scalable. So I can already tell that some people are thinking, okay, you know what, Juni? I hear you. What you're saying is, why don't I take the little money that I have because I'm just a college student. I'm going to trade and buy options taking the little money I have, I'm going to 400% it because that's what you just said. If you have a small portfolio, if you want to 400% your money, you have to do it this way. Okay. And then when I have enough money, then I'll be responsible and sell options. That does not work. Your discipline is, won't be developed enough to be able to do anything responsibly. If you're just used to your hundred, 200, 300% gains slash losses that you're going to inevitably have trying to get from one K to two K to five K. Okay. So I don't want you to get the wrong idea of like, 
you know, you need to sort of buy options and make it big to make it out the hood. Okay. Like you don't, um, what I recommend is getting a job. Okay. Wild thing to say, I know, but this is the realest take that I could give is like, you get a job, you put some of that paycheck into your account and you watch your account grow that way. Then when you get triggered enough by you losing too many times, seeing your hard earned money constantly get like um, going to zero from buying these really risky options, then you start considering saving up money in your portfolio to eventually sell options on instead of gambling it all away to get to that nice round number of like 25k maybe to sell options on there's ways to generate income that doesn't involve you losing income and that means working hard working responsible growing your career your relationships in your life growing your mental mindset growing spiritually like all these all these fun stuff in life that you can take your mind towards and distract you from like losing thousands of dollars buying options irresponsibly. But, and I know, I know, I know, I say but to everything because I, I want to give the fairest take to both sides, okay? If your goal is to just have fun, and I'm talking about like, Junie, I don't care about anything that you're talking about. I just want to hit that home run because I think that's cool. And I think as Junie, that's okay. Just don't expect that to realistically happen every year. I get so many emails talking about how people get got every week. And it is some of the most heartbreaking things, but also some of the coolest things as I feel like it's very therapeutic for people that do write in to talk and grieve about their losses. Um, it. It's it's amazing, you know, what the human mind can justify doing when you're buying options. It is incredibly dangerous because, you know, it's it's just a digital number. Like one swipe of your thumb can change your life. For the better, you know, if you if you win, but often for the worst. Um, but there's nothing wrong with having fun as long as you're doing it responsibly. Losing like you know, $3,000 when you're a millionaire, not that big of a deal. Losing $3,000 that you saved up all summer for when you're a high school student, that's a little bit different. Now, you know, you got to think twice when you like go out to Chick-fil-A with your friends and you can't really afford anything to eat. They ask like, you know, you worked at Jumbo Juice for that entire summer. You don't have any money. Yeah, I got you. But like, why why don't you have any money to buy your own Chick-fil-A? And you're like, because I bought calls on Beyond Meat. And then it's just like a whole thing. Like, you don't want to, <laughs> you just don't want to do that. Um, but something to be said and a topic that I just had with my fiance is that I am very happy that I learned some of my biggest financial lessons when I was younger. For example, I lost pretty big on some earnings play when I first started trading on Wall Street, Wall Street Bets slash Robinhood when option trading first became available. I lost pretty big on like a Blizzard earnings play a long time ago. Uh, this was before ThetaGain.com was a thing. Like this was like five years maybe before ThetaGain.com became a thing. Um, and uh, it was pretty gut-wrenching. I was just wrong. I, I had bought calls and the stock ended up going down. Uh, I also talk about the times I was scammed in RuneScape and scammed on a, a vi in a video game that is called Silk Road Online. It's not the Silk Road, the drug tra trafficking website. It's, it's literally called Silk Road Online. It was one of my favorite games when I was younger. Um, anyway, I got scammed 
for like a lot of my hard-earned farming gold. I spent so much time farming that up and I got scammed out of it and that ultimately cut my addiction to the game and I never played the game again after I got scammed. But I learned my lessons early. So this is a message to anyone that's like, you know what, Junie, I appreciate your thoughts and your opinions on today's episode, but I'm still going to give buying options a chance uh, because I haven't quite done it yet. And I don't want you to be the only person influencing my decision in that when I buy options, you know, um, that you're the only one sort of putting their input in. So what I'm going to offer here is like, I don't ever want you to feel like you're trading alone. In case if you lose very, very big or you're in a predicament where you're feeling very lost and you feel like you don't want to talk to anyone else, you're very embarrassed, you can either come to the Twitch channel, we can talk it out, we can map it out. Uh, I could give you some of my own opinion if I, what I would do if I was in your scenario. And or uh, you could write me an email and if it's about a loss, you can talk about the loss. You can like, you know, just put all your feelings in it. You're good. It's, it's very healthy. I think it's one of my favorite things to do is just type out my feelings sometimes. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I just don't want another sort of Alex Kearns situation to happen, right? Like where he didn't understand what was happening. Um, and uh, not saying that he was actually even buying options. I think he, he was selling options. There's some obligation that he just didn't understand. He was fine the entire time, but he didn't know what was going on. It was very embarrassing. And so he ended up, you know, um, committing suicide because he did, he was just too embarrassed to tell his parents. He didn't want to put the burden on his parents. And so he ended his own life. Very, very sad. But it is, you know, what I ultimately try to stop from happening uh, with the podcast and with the stream um, and all that good stuff. It, it, a bit of a heavy ending, but really, I do think buying options is fun, but it is dangerous. Um, it's better for sort of accounts that are smaller, that are looking to have fun. Uh, I have yet to see anyone have a good track record of buying options. And that's why this is so critical that if you do buy options, log in on datagame.com. Maybe you are the first person in the world that has a good reputable history of buying call and put options that I can, you know, mention on the podcast, that I can uh, reflect on, you know, I can learn from you, all that good stuff. But from right now, all I see are like, gurus that pay like $5,000 or not pay, but rather get paid $5,000 a month per subscription. And they just give out like what they call trade alerts. And these trade alerts involve you buying really out the money options. And then, you know, whenever someone wins on these options, they obviously win big, but they only share the winning trades. And, you know, you sign up for one of those services, you pick up a trade on their trade alerts and one of the trade alerts that don't actually end up winning, you get really embarrassed. You don't want to talk about your losses or that you paid this dude $5,000 to join his trading service. And then you get really sad. Like that is not cool. So transparency or transparency is really important to me, which is why the 5k account is how it's presented. Um, and, and my main account too. Nothing I do is gatekeep, gatekeep, gate kept. <laughs> Because um, I want you to learn from my mistakes. I want, I want you to also benefit from my learnings just doing this for four years straight, doing the same sort of strategy over and over again. Um, and yeah, so the moral is 
buying options is fun, but they are dangerous. If you want to 300% your portfolio, buying options is probably the way to go. But getting 300% every year is not sustainable. It's not scalable. You can't like buy options with the plan of having a home run every time you um every year uh to be a strategy you could do for the rest of your life so eventually by that definition you're going to lose also very big right um so if you wanted to buy options say you have a lot of money you know and you wanted to do the option buying scenario then you're gonna try to buy options that are closer to the money longer dated maybe you start experiencing um experimenting with some like leaps or something um and it doesn't have to be so black and white either like you can sell options like you could write covered calls you could write cash secure puts and maybe you do an occasional earnings play because it's fun or you like uh supplement the theta gang strategy with coming up with like mini buys of calls and puts to go along with that strategy and you want to do both at the same time right it's just Different sizes of portfolios and goals really structure how you can trade. I think where people get really lost is when you don't have a lot of money and you do the worst of both sides, okay? Like if you don't have a lot of money, you might be entitled or not entitled, but you might feel like you want to open very out-the-money calls on something like a biopharmaceutical company or like a marijuana company but um those will often lose so that's you know for the buy side or if you try to force selling options uh with a smaller account then you're you know wheeling on like a penny stock and that doesn't have that good volume you're really starting to force the trades there maybe it has high implied volatility but there's just again not enough volume the slippage is very high and you end up losing because um, it's just not a good company to sell options on. So money is a very limiting factor when it comes to your option strategies. Um, when I first started, uh, just as a recap, when I first started options trading on Robinhood uh, with a Theta Gang style, I think I had around 8K. Uh, and I did strictly like put credit spreads, call credit spreads, and short iron condors. I quickly figured out that I didn't like betting against the upside, so I stopped doing call credit spreads and only did put credit spreads and short iron condors. And slowly I started stopped doing short iron condors because again, didn't like betting against the upside. So then I started doing only put credit spreads, which is what you see that I mostly do on thetagang.com slash juni5k. I've done, let me look it up because this I, I have the real data to back it up. So I want to use the real data. Um, I have done uh, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. I've done twenty-one put credit spreads and one short iron condor on my Juni five K account. Um and I've won on all of them besides the four that I still have left open and the one put credit spread that lost back in November sixth on the target put credit spread. So, yeah, um, a few thousand dollars is probably good enough to start learning how to do put credit spreads and call credit spreads. Um, maybe you like betting against the upside, but there's there, I could I could go on and on about this topic. Um, but just in 
and being mindful of the episode length, um, you know, trading with a smaller portfolio shouldn't be forced. Like if you feel like all you can do right now is just buy stocks, then just buy stocks, work hard at your job. And again, just deposit money every week until maybe you have like the $8,000 or $9,000 to start dabbling into credit spreads. Um, because again, that home run, it feels really, really good to win, but man, it feels really good to win because it doesn't happen that often. So that was today's episode. I hope I gave uh, like good personal context of what I've observed from like the buy side and sell side from my own experiences. Um, again, like I highly suggest that if you've never bought an option, um, you know, you hear me talk a lot about the dangers of it. They are fun. Um, and I feel like in order to really learn, you gotta actually lose. Um, not to say like, oh, you should go out there and then purposely lose and then like say like, oh yeah, this feels great. Cause it's not going to feel good when you lose. But, you know, we're humans. We we learn most from our mistakes when they actually happen to us. It's not enough for someone to just talk about how you're going to lose. It's often like you go out of your way to just do it anyway. Um, and then you lose and you're like, oh, that's why he said earnings were dangerous. So, you know, it, it's going to take some trial on your part. And that amount of trial is absolutely up to you. You go in with a few smaller plays or you get overzealous, you get overhyped from Wall Street bets or, you know, this 1K to 1 million challenge and you lose big there. Everyone has their own, uh, you know, process of learning, which is what is so cool about trading stocks is it's really only you versus the stock market. It's not like a group of people against the stock market. As much as like the GameStop craze made it sound like it uh, was uh, like ought to be, it's really just you and like the clicks you put into your trading terminal no one is forcing you to trade which is amazing it's like you sign up literally for everything that you do and the justifications that people come up with on why they lose is insane to me but that is possibly another topic in the future um just yeah make good decisions that you'll be proud of later um, and just be aware of your max loss scenarios. Where do I win? How much can I profit? And also, how much can I lose? That's an equally important question. This podcast, the website, and stream are all made possible because of my patrons at patreon.com slash thetagang. Signing up helps keep the services up and alive, as well as pay my own personal bills like health insurance. I do the podcast, website, and stream full-time and is my primary source of income. I feel grateful to be able to do this full-time, and my focus is on providing the best service possible for free. The podcast, website, and stream are all free, and it'll stay that way. Signing up for Patreon does give you a few perks, though, so check it out again at patreon.com slash if you're interested in helping support. I want to give a special shout-out to my patrons here that keep the services alive as well as pay for my dinner and lunch um, here at uh, patreon.com. I'll give the list here. Giving a shout-out to Fancy Wolf, Los Pepes, Mods, Pasture Bedtime, Upstream Puddle, Seneca, Ensis88, EDC, Kevlar22, Nala, J Perkins 86, Slow Motion, Rustier, The Jester, Grandpa 95, Chicken Dinner, Jack O' Lantern Bob, 
Kaput, K21 Butler, Symmetrix, Statistically Random, Turbo Ricky, Maestro XC, Lord Skeletor, Major, Tekle Me Elmo, Avrillian, Danube 9000, McFly, Mr. Integrity, Rooster, Bearded Savage, Caveman, Andy V, Arfman, Meh Meh Meh, Can't Make Money, RRL, and Maltman 1856.